Welcome to the Banking on Business podcast presented by Horicon Bank. Banking on Business is aimed at helping entrepreneurs grow their business with practical strategies you can start using today. We are all about engaging our local business community and connecting with other small businesses to raise each other up. Hosted by yours truly, Grace Bruins, marketing officer at Horicon Bank, turned podcaster, at least for the next 20 minutes. Welcome to the Banking on Business podcast presented by Horicon Bank. Today, I am talking with Linda Chipman, owner of Chippy's Popcorn Creations in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. Welcome, Linda. I am glad you're here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. You bet. So you have described your business as a micro business, and that's something that we're going to talk about and your whole journey in getting there because your business is now 20 years old as the kettle corn business. You have a shop that you've had for 10 years. That's a long time to be in business. And you had a whole other business life before that, you know, job and, and industry that you were in. So I'm excited to tell that story. Before we get there, I want our listeners to get to know you a little bit better with a rapid fire intro to the expert. This is our rapid fire intro to the expert. I fire off the questions and you answer as quickly as you can. Are you ready to play? I think so, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Linda, where are you from? Uh, Naperville, Illinois is where I was born. Okay, and what do you love most about what you do? I love seeing the smiles on people's faces, creating experiences for them. Where is the most interesting place you've ever been? India. India. Ah. When did you go there? In 2018. Okay. Fascinating. I bet you had a lot of good food. I did. (laughs) (laughs) What's the best food you've ever eaten? Oh, my. Years ago, we ate at Sanford Restaurant in Milwaukee. I remember that being quite amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably a hard question considering your husband's a chef. Yes, he puts out some phenomenal food. (laughs) (laughs) And what is your favorite flavor of popcorn that you've ever made at Chippy's? Oh, goodness. One that I made that I really enjoyed, it was a sesame cashew popcorn. Um, So it had notes of sesame oil with sesame seeds. Although it wasn't for the marketplace, I certainly enjoyed it. That's got to be kind of fun, though, you know, just to be able to try so many different things and then finding your favorite and and seeing what other people like. And that's got to be fun. Well, in that spirit, before we head into our your story, Linda, let's go into marketing minute. What do you think when I say the word innovation, what comes to mind? Creating new things, uh, things that people maybe haven't seen before. I think that's a great definition of that. I think a lot of people tend to equate innovation with like Apple or Tesla or something where it's almost very technical, not necessarily scotch tape, which is what I'm going to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) But the company 3M actually holds over 100,000 patents, thanks to the way that they have built a culture of innovation within their business. They do that by sharing ideas across the company. So that means listening to any new product idea, regardless of the employee or their position, or maybe even the seeming absurdity of the idea itself giving each employee 15% free time to explore new ideas, keeping a diverse workforce regarding thinking, culture, gender, ethnicity, and experience, and then embracing failure. Employees do not get fired for a failed product launch. Instead, those are celebrated because they're learning opportunities. So a takeaway for listeners, innovation requires failure. And though it can't be taught, it can be rewarded and harnessed within your company's culture. 
Absolutely. And that's actually something before we came into the studio, we were sort of talking about your story and, and you said, my husband and I are kind of stubborn, (laughs) (laughs) but that's the way we learn. We just go out there and we do something and and we try it and we think, okay, we're going to learn from it. And that's been your experience with Chippies, correct? Yes. I mean, you, you started, you guys were both in the restaurant business Mm -hmm. and then decided to, to move into something new. So why don't you tell us the start of that story. How did Chippy's Popcorn Creations come to be? So uh, being in the restaurant business as we were, both Scott and myself, we were working 70-hour work weeks every weekend, every holiday. And we really were just at a point of being kind of ready to for something different with that. At one point, we had been exposed to kettle corn, which is popcorn with sugar and salt on it. And it really wasn't a big deal. We just thought, whatever. And then we demolished the whole giant bag of it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, a year later, which was now at the end of 2001, we're at a crossroads in our career. And we really just said, what about that kettle corn thing? We could probably do that. (laughs) So we borrowed the money from my dad and we bought the equipment and we booked our shows to pop kettle corn for all of the masses that were going to love it. And we started losing money at every single show that we went to. (laughs) So we continued. We had all, we had already paid our fees for Mm -hmm. our shows and uh, we went to our shows and now we were in North Carolina at the time. Okay. So we went to all of our shows and we were losing money at show after show after show. And we did some things like set up at a gas station as well. So that was really, when we're talking 20 years ago, that was out of the norm where Mm -hmm. today you can be in most any city and see street vendors and they're actually quite popular. So we feel like we were a little bit ahead of the curve on that Absolutely. because people didn't understand why these people were trying to sell popcorn on a corner. <laughs> but we persisted with that. And the year goes by in, in our industry, in that first part of our uh, business, where you set up all of your events in the beginning of the year. So that first year that we were in business, We had shows booked in Wisconsin for the summer months because our families were in Wisconsin. So shortly before we came to Wisconsin in 2002, we really were having second doubts because we were broke. We had lost a lot of money at all of the shows where they were not lining up for this kettle corn (laughs) that we loved so much. And we were going to cancel our summer, but we really just decided that, you know what, I already have a tab with my father. If we need to borrow money to get back home to North Carolina, I'll just add more funds to my tab and I'll pay them back when I can. And I, you know, when I get a real job again. (laughs) And um, so we came up to Wisconsin and our first show was in 2002 in the Dells. And um, of course, we didn't make a million dollars, but to us, it felt like it was a million dollars because we actually turned a profit. Mm -hmm. And all of our shows that summer, uh, people in Wisconsin loved kettle corn. Uh, So we had a great summer. We saved up some money. We went back to North Carolina in the fall because we had some bookings down there. And we started losing money again. So we put our house on the market and we came back up north, moved into a house that was in my family in Illinois. And 
I went back to work for a few years because I needed some more stable income at that point because we were also moving in the winter. So there's not a lot of shows in Illinois or Wisconsin <laughs> in the winter time. Yeah. So I went back to work for a few years and we continued to grow the kettle corn business. During that time of me working, I used the resources that I had in my job. I was a restaurant manager, a training manager, and I used the resources of saving as much money as I could through their 401k plans. And when I was ready to quit three and a half years later, I had that money to take with me. And we have been basically on our own as chippies ever since. Wow. So what was that like? So obviously an emotional roller coaster, right? Yes. Like we're super excited about this idea and it's not doing well. So we're going <laughs> to we're just going to go north and try it there. And then it does really, really well. And, and then you guys took this really big leap to say, okay, sell the house. We're going to, we're going to make this work in Wisconsin. What was that like? What emotions were you going through? And you know, what did you learn along the way? So emotion wise, uh, it was probably a little bit insane <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, I remember thinking and actually crying, like, we only have $200 to our name and we have a mortgage that is due and this is dumb. You know, you start beating yourself up in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So it was very emotional. And just as we went through that, we knew we had a support system and I think that's that's really important. I mean, we we were in a lot of financial debt. Nothing that we did really made sense. But like you said in the beginning, we both are stubborn and we both believe in ourselves. We we had careers that we did quite well at. Um, we always succeeded in those areas. So I guess we just had this overarching thought that how could we not succeed? It might not work as we want to in the beginning, mm -hmm. but if we continue to go forward and if we persist. And I think that's the overall message for 20 years in business is persistence. And this goes back to a disaster that I had before we started this business. Um, I got involved in a multi-level marketing company at one point. Oh. And although that was a giant loss of money in our lives, one of the things that companies like that sometimes do is they they have motivational speakers like they do a lot of learning about successful mindsets okay and one of the books that we read at that time was think and grow rich by napoleon hill and in that book it talks about being three inches from gold it talks about how these people had land and they were mining the land for a vein of gold and they didn't find the gold they didn't find the gold and so they sold the property the next owners within three inches found oh. the vein of gold. So the quick moral of that story, don't give up because you might be just three inches from gold. And so that, even out of that disaster of that whole multi-level marketing company and that situation, that was a, a nugget that, we, uh, <laughs> a gold nugget that we took <laughs> that out of there. Well. <laughs> and it really has driven so many things in our lives even going back to that gas station that we set up, mm -hmm. we had been out all day asking people if we could set up on their property to sell kettle corn. And and the pitch was, can we set up? Can I pay you money? Um, we are insured and you don't have to do a thing. I'll just pay you money to be here. Mm -hmm. And we got no after no after no after no. And it was getting dark. I remember 
We were in Cornelius, North Carolina. It was getting dark, and there was one gas station that we kind of came upon, and I said, let's just try this one. So I went in, and I asked to speak to the owner or the manager, and um, the man was there, happened to be the owner, and I laid out my pitch, and he said, sure, I'll let you set up here. How about 50 bucks a day? And I said, yes, by all means. So I got in the car, and I said to my husband, we were three inches from gold. Had we given up before we stopped here, we wouldn't have had this spot. And mm-hmm. we, we set up there once or twice a week in our in our first few months of, of business. Wow. Wow. What? That's got to be crazy just to think back on some of those <laughs> moments where you're like, I was ready to be done. Yes. <laughs> but I'm so glad that I didn't give up, that we didn't give up. You know, your husband's a big part of that. Mm-hmm. So between you and Scott, like, what are your duties, I guess? Do you do you both do the same thing or are you kind of like, this is my thing, this is his thing? How does that work with your business? Yes. So we have uh, some parts that overlap. Of course, you need to be as partners. But Scott's wheelhouse really is in production. With his past career of being an executive chef, he's very organized. He's very task-focused. And he can produce like a maniac. So he knows what he needs to do and he just knocks it out. Where myself, I'm more of the creative side and I have, I deal with a lot of the incoming queries about orders. Um, I do a lot of the creative side, uh, many of the recipes. more on the sweet side. Most of those recipes are things that I created. So I, I do a lot of the front of the house, if you will. He sure. does a lot of the back of the house, which is really natural to where we were in our professional careers. I was a front of the house training manager. He was a back of the house exec chef. So uh, we work really well together. I certainly can produce, but it's kind of messy. I don't get I'm not nearly as productive as he is. <laughs> so you've definitely found your niches within your your business. Yes, yes. That's where your strengths lie. Mm-hmm. So who comes up? Well, I think you, you said that you come up with a number of those flavors for the popcorn. What does the testing process look like? Is it like, oh, we tried this and it's perfect and we're going to throw it out there? Or is there a lot of mistakes along the way? We have had some mistakes along the way. In the beginning, the most important one was the caramel corn. I knew I wanted to call it Mrs. Chippy's Caramel Corn, which is my name. So I wanted it to be really great. So we had a panel of people that was our testing panel. And they were folks that were familiar with a popular popcorn business that had been established for many years. So when I was feeding them all of these... uh, caramel recipes. They were, of course, happy to oblige. But what I wanted out of that experience was I wanted them to say, I would choose yours equally or more so than this popular brand that Mm -hmm. I've been eating for all of these years. And so um, the recipe that is currently known as Mrs. Chippy's Caramel Corn is a result of about three months of recipe testing with those folks. And we've converted some. (laughs) (laughs) So that's one of the the processes. And for other recipes, it really is, um, there's kind of a basis to the process. So uh, in cooking, there's there's sauces. If you know how to make the mother sauces, you can make hundreds of sauces thereafter. And that's really the same 
process with popcorn. If you know how the process of candy and hard sugar works, then there's a lot of opportunity to add flavors and dimensions to that. So really it is having a solid base and then growing upon that, which actually is a lot of things in life, isn't it? Really it really is. It really is. So the, I think the most important question, how does someone get on a testing panel for popcorn? Because <laughs> I think I'd like to know. <laughs> well, I have had some people reach out to us and they might be looking for something specific. So in that instance, we will create something for it. Um, so we actually have a local brew pub in our community, and we've made something special for them, a few different recipes. So it starts with me developing something that they have stated and then getting their feedback on if they want more of this or less of that and uh, moving forward with that. So that has to be the most fun, I think trying it, trying something new and especially getting that feedback and then getting to adjust it and and see what you come out with. That's, that's a cool process. It is. (laughs) Have you ever had an idea for a popcorn flavor where you're like, this is going to be so good. And then you, you try it, you, and it just, it's a total fail. (laughs) You're like that. No one can try this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the one that's coming to mind, which I should have known better, but it was it was early on, and I really wanted to make a Liganberry popcorn with white chocolate. So I got some Liganberries, and they're very wet. And so again, when I look back at it, I am thinking, how did you think that hard sugar <laughs> and wetness was going to make sense? But we do have some popcorns that have a level of moisture to them. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just thought it was going to work. And it turned into five gallons of a hard, messy lump. <laughs> so um, there was no going forward with that. Unless if I were to find like dehydrated berries, but that wouldn't be nearly as good as what I had envisioned in my taste already. <laughs> um, so that's that's the one that comes to mind. I'm sure there's a few others along the way, but that's the one that sticks out right sure. now. <laughs> well, and even, even to be able to tell that story and go, what was I thinking? Like, <laughs> this doesn't add up to this. And, you know, th- there's definitely like lessons learned right. throughout all of that, which I think is what you have talked about with me previous to recording too, is just understanding that failure doesn't mean the end, right? right? You're learning a lesson through that and then you're going to adjust and you're going to move forward. And I think it's that mindset that allows you to do that, that you've mentioned from the very beginning. I want to ask you, you have described your business as a micro business. How do you define what a micro business is versus a small business? What makes them different? Yes. um, As Oftentimes when I've read stories about small business in Wisconsin, as I get on in the story, I find that many times those businesses have 50 or 70 or 80 employees or even more, and they're being called small businesses. And oftentimes they're in the millions of dollars. Uh, We are so far from 50 employees or millions of dollars that just as I started to think about that, Really, in recent months, I started calling ourselves a micro-business because we're not in the same category as somebody that has 50 employees. And sometimes as businesses that might be considered small business in Wisconsin, there's there's maybe special financial incentives with cities or um, things that may come from the state. And 
sometimes those maybe aren't going to be available for somebody that really is a micro business. So the roles of the owners are different too. Somebody mm -hmm. who's managing 50 people or has um, large staff and millions of dollars, they are likely not on the shop floor of whatever they're producing. Our business, being a micro business, we are on the shop floor. We are the production team. We are answering everybody's emails. We are doing payroll and banking. We really are all the functions to some degree in our business. And I think that's important because it's not always a matter of hiring something out because when you are a micro business, you are dealing in very small margins many times. So you have to be, I believe you have to be very invested in your business. If it's going to be successful, if it's actually going to make a profit and have longevity. And although Money, I would say, is not total outcome, but of course we need money to stay in business. <laughs> yep, yep. So important. Right. <laughs> so I think micro business um, just gives a different perspective on what's actually happening because I think it's important for consumers to understand as well that we're not playing the same operation because it, it, it truly is not something that I can do and hire somebody out to help me with payroll because that really would take care of my margins in a quick minute. And, and those are important, but I think it's also important for the consumers to know that because maybe it takes us a little bit, you know, we, we have ebbs and flows in that because we're doing mm -hmm. so many functions. It's easy for us to have uh, decision fatigue. It's easy for us to become burnt out because you're wearing maybe eight hats in a day. You know, one minute you're trying to market, the next minute you're trying to produce, the next minute you're trying to solve the problem with the grease trap, you know, uh, and, and many other things that might mm -hmm. happen in an average day. So when it comes to those, those things that don't come naturally to you, where do you find resources? How do you learn? Say, say it's payroll. I've never done payroll before. Now I have employees and I got to figure this out. Where do you go? How do you learn that? So in that case, um, payroll, we knew that there would be a new skill set that I actually didn't want to learn, nor did my husband. So for many years, I did our own taxes. But once we had employees, I knew that was something that I was going to have to outsource essentially no matter what. It's an expensive thing to outsource, but I don't have to worry about the reporting that comes. Every time I get something from the Department of Wisconsin that says this is going to change, I just give it to my bookkeeper. <laughs> so I think there are times where you know that you have to put that out because I just really, I don't want to go down that road to learn it. Mm -hmm. So I think you have to be able to pay for some things. Uh, to outsource some things. But if you can do most things on your own, I think that's important uh, to learn. But know, know where you absolutely need to do it. And you have to be okay spending that money. Mm -hmm. For us, it was just, yes, we're going to pay for somebody to do our bookkeeping and our payroll. End of story. <laughs> and we're just going to make that work. <laughs> I think it's good to to draw those lines and say, look, here's where skills and abilities lie. Here's where my interests absolutely are not or where right. I am not good at doing that. So I'm going to find a professional. And I assume that that comes with the growth of business as well, saying, okay, we're big enough where 
this isn't something we can do anymore. So we're going to look for a professional. We're going to look for somebody we trust to help us with that. Yes. Yes. So you talked about decision fatigue. That's an interesting term. And burnout. How do you guys deal with that? So one of the beauties of being our own micro business is we do have flexibility. So of course, right now we're in Christmas season and our season is very busy. We have a lot of long days and we have a lot of inquiries. So we have a lot of information coming at us on a daily basis, but we already have scheduled. Uh, my husband takes two weeks of fishing in January and I take two weeks when he gets back. And so we're very deliberate in planning time at a big stretch. Um, so during those times, for instance, myself being the one that handles all of the incoming communications, I just put all my autoresponders on. I tell them how they can get a hold of my husband, even though that's not something he necessarily enjoys as part of the business. He takes it on because he knows that that's how I, his wife and his business partner gets better is to just be away from it for two weeks. Yes. <laughs> so we do that. Um, but just more practical daily terms. I know that when I'm feeling, I can tell when I'm unproductive. So I, I feel like it's important for small businesses or people that are dealing with a lot of information. They need to be self-aware so that they know when they need to take a break. In Beaver Dam, we have a lake that has multiple areas of viewing. And sometimes I just get in my car and I go stare at the lake for an hour because I need that. And I'm not on my phone. I just really need to just stop and get away from the space that I'm not being productive in. So I think that's another way to manage that. And really having the boundaries of turning things off, that is huge. There's such a demand in today's world for businesses to be responsive to every whim that you as a consumer might want. And that's really detrimental to small businesses and micro businesses because it's almost, it, it really is an unrealistic expectation that a business could respond to every person that talks to them on social media. But we sometimes are putting that upon ourselves that we need to. So I personally am the one that's dealing in that circle and I just sometimes, you know, I, I've come to accept that I can't possibly talk to everybody that might make a comment and I've come to be okay with that. And so I try to share that in the transparency that social media requires today. I just try to share that and let people know, you know, we've got a lot going on. And as much as I want to be able to talk to everybody individually, I just can't. I can't mentally or physically. So I think it's important to set those barriers because you as the owner, if you're not well, nothing else is going to go well. So your business won't be successful, but you're going to lose customers as well through that process if you're just trying to do too much. So I think you have to know your limits and know your awareness and be okay with not hitting every single thing that comes your way. Well, I think it's interesting that you use social media, not just to promote, but then also be transparent because I think that's what people forget about social media. Yeah, it's a great free tool that you can throw pictures out on and, and really start to promote your business, but it's also engagement. And it's connecting with your customers. And I think for a business, micro business, to be able to go out there and say, hey, we care about you. And in order to care about you, we need to take care of ourselves. I think that's pretty special. Yes. And your customers, I'm going to assume, really relate to that. I think so. Because sometimes I've had interactions with people where they 
it's almost like they feel like maybe I've given them permission to do that in their own lives. Because it is. It's unrealistic for us to think of everything that's coming at us that we can touch it. Mm -hmm. Because it's just too fast. The world is moving at laser speed today in, in the terms of social media and information that's coming at us. So yeah, I think it's super important. It can be, it's frustrating to some degree because, you know, I, I wouldn't be honest if I didn't say, yeah, I would love to talk to everybody because I would, but I just can't. So, so. <laughs> so you had said before, you know, money isn't necessarily the, the only goal of our business. What would you say, especially with your name on the business, this is not Grace's popcorn, this is Chippy's popcorn. What do you feel like that means for you? What is that goal for Chippy's popcorn? So even in our brand, I mean, it's important for us to have a brand. Mm -hmm. When we redesigned our packages, we were very specific in creating an experience for somebody, say, in Seattle that never met myself or my husband and never walked into our cute little shop in Beaver Dam. So we wanted to build a brand that felt special and felt nice, but we do want to create a brand. We want to create a brand that feels special to people. But Scott and myself are not money motivated. What's more motivating to us is an experience that we might create for people, our own lifestyle. So we have sometimes said our business is a lifestyle business. So that's important to us because when we worked for other people, there was no weekends. There was no holidays. We were working all of them and we were working intensely. And, you know, there just were so many negatives to the life that we had before. And now we can set our own boundaries. So that really is more of a driver than the outcome. Of course, we want to serve great popcorn. And of course, we want to have people that are regular customers of ours. But we've never been driven by the we're going to dominate the popcorn world. We actually, we visit other popcorn places and we, you know, we've promoted other popcorn places on social media because we feel that together, like a little popcorn business in a community really makes a great community. Sure. <laughs> um, so it, it would be silly for us to think that we should dominate that market. We really are more about the experience about serving our community. From the beginning, we, we had a fundraiser before we ever made a dollar in our business. We donated nearly a thousand dollars. So we did that through the construction of our business. So it's more about giving back our community and making a great life for people that we impact and also making a life that's, that's decent for us, that has some flexibility and some fun and you know, and quite honestly, as a lifestyle business, if we decide we want to close for two months, we could. And, mm -hmm. you know, we could never take two months off working for anybody else right. in most cases. Right. Um, so so those are the things. Um, of course, money needs to be there to be able to serve the community. But that's not why we do things like we do. Mm -hmm. That's really special. I think, I think there's a lot of lessons learned from your story. You know, we talked about failure, learning from that, making that a learning experience, but then also understanding your own boundaries, understanding what you want to get out of that business. And if what I want to get out of this business isn't to be the number one popcorn sales in Wisconsin, that's okay. That's okay because I love my life. I love what I'm doing. I love being a part of the community that I'm in. So 
how can people get Chippy's popcorn if they're looking for it? Yes. So, of course, we have our store in Beaver Dam that you can always pop into. (laughs) And that is open Thursday through Sunday. And we also have our online ordering at chippiespopcorn.com. That's open 24-7 and uh, that is available. We have a few other places that are local in Beaver Dam. Jerry's Marathon has sold it. Uh, Actually, Jerry's BP and uh, Uga Brewing has sell some of our popcorn and uh, a couple of the taverns, Stooges, as well as uh, Maury's. Um, So those are some places that sell locally and just a couple flavors like the Beaver Dam blend is at all of Mm -hmm. those places. And then we have a few niche markets, um, one in Hartford and one in Mayville that um, sells a handful of our popcorns as well. But primarily Beaver Dam in our store and also online at chippiespopcorn.com. Well, and I have a personal story. We have used as Horcon Bank, we have used Chippy's Popcorn for different grand openings, different special events, um, even employee events, always always a fun giveaway. But at my wedding, we actually served Chippy's Popcorn. Huge hit, by the way. You're dancing, you need a little snack. That's what you go with. <laughs> so for anyone looking, definitely contact you. Visit your website, right? And and check it out. I think I love popcorn, so maybe, you know, maybe I'm a little more enthusiastic than most people, but I definitely think it's, it's worth it. And um, you guys do an awesome job. And I just love seeing your business grow and the positivity that you bring to the Beaver Dam community. I think it's really special. So with that, We're going to get a little inspirational for our listeners, more inspirational than we have been, Linda. (laughs) (laughs) As you know, Horicon Bank is the natural choice for banking. That's not just a tagline. It's a commitment to being environmentally friendly and supporting environmental causes. So in that spirit, I'm going to give you an interesting animal fact, and I'm going to ask you to turn it into a piece of inspirational advice. Okay, here we go. Did you know that buffaloes will instinctively run into the storm instead of moving away from it, moving with the wind? They know that walking into the storm will actually get them out of the weather quicker. Yeah, I think that to be inspiring in that story, it's against what we would think. Like we would think we don't want to run into danger or hard times. And I think that that's really where we grow. That's where we're forged. Um, So although you may not be looking for something and running into it head first, don't be afraid of the hard times that are coming. Just as I said, forged, it came to mind, like that's how we make knives and that's how we bend metal is we forge it um, by being in the hottest part of the fire. So, and eventually all by a time's end. So uh, I think it makes sense to not be afraid of the hard times because that's really where we become the strongest. And that's how we learn how to get out of the place that's uncomfortable for us. Mm Mm-hmm. That's excellent advice. Last piece here, Linda, before we end the show, I want to wrap up with actionable advice for listeners. So out of your experience, what is something that you hope listeners can take and put into practice in their businesses right away? I think one of the biggest things really is maybe what we touched on already about being self-aware of your boundaries and being self-aware of what you need to be your best so that you can be your best for others. And it really is taking some time to reflect on that. Um, When you're in a situation that's difficult, start asking yourself questions. Why is this so hard? 
why am I feeling so frustrated by this right now? And usually that's an indicator that you need to take a break. You need to stop. And and it doesn't have to be a two-week vacation. Uh, if it is, great. Yeah, um, take it. <laughs> but I think we can't continue to push ourselves because when we're down, it's no good for anybody else. So I, I think just knowing where you're at, challenge yourself when you're feeling frustrated or upset or angry and challenge what's happening right at that moment and take a minute to yourself and um, figure out if you can get away from it. And um, that sometimes a, f a five minute self-awareness is really all you need to tackle the next eight or 10 or 12 hours that's going to come at you. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. Go find your lake, mm -hmm. you know, yep. take a moment, stare at it. <laughs> <laughs> And then you'll be even more productive in the future. Yes. And never give up. I mean, persistence really, I would have to say, is our overarching 20-year philosophy. Keep, you're going to get a lot of no's in life. Keep knocking on doors. Keep asking because you have to persist. Otherwise, you, you won't be around to persist. <laughs> well, I have enjoyed this time with you, Linda. Thank I've you. enjoyed hearing about your 20-year history with Chippy's Popcorn. And I'm really going to enjoy the popcorn that you brought for me today. All <laughs> so right. Thank you very much You're for being welcome. here. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to see this and uh, we appreciate your business as well as uh, Horicon Bank is our lender. So we've appreciated the relationship there as well. You bet. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in the loop on all things banking on business related, visit horiconbank.com slash banking on business and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.